Cincinnati Insurance. This is Nick. How may I help you? Nick, this is Joey Jingola. Joey, what's going on, dude? What's going on, man? Did you just try calling me like a couple times and it didn't go through? I did. I was screaming at you. You didn't hear me. Yeah. Can you hear me now? This is insurance in your own words from the people who are living and breathing it every day and are struggling to figure out where this industry is going and what they need to do to stay ahead. Hosted by me, Joey Jingola. Let's get into it. Right, and I, I love that. And because the other agent that I have, he's only been with me about a year and a half. I've been growing my book for about eight years. So I told him, I said, he's, he's even had to do it for like a couple accounts, and but I don't want him doing that. I want him focusing on writing the business, but you know, it's a necessary evil. So it seems like Marblebot could be a great solution and even could be permanent. Cause even if I hire somebody else who's doing other things for the agency, I mean, if they can really reshop accounts that much more efficiently, having to hire somebody and train them on how to do that, I mean, that's time consuming as is, so. There's a good chance the people in your office are not doing the most valuable thing that they probably could. Just gonna say it. That was my good buddy, Nick Thalhammer of Cincinnati Insurance in Cincinnati, Ohio, talking about, yeah, we, we if you remember on the, the first episode, he was on a, a episode 219, I can't remember the name of it, but um, uh, one of these days, I promise, I will get better at that. But talking about Marble Box, outsourcing, and I'm pretty fired up. I'm, I'm excited to get into this because it's it's a big it's a big topic, right? He's saying, "Listen, I was doing the math. I I was you know I was figuring this out. I, there's I, I don't know that I want my other guy, my other guy in the agency servicing that business. You know, I might want other people doing it. And here's the thing, right? And I was just down in. We're gonna get into this a little bit more throughout this podcast, but. I was just down in Alabama speaking at the Alabama Young Agents Conference, and, and part of that was moderating a panel with the CEO of Marblebox himself, Ani Potter. And there's always this concern that that if you're giving certain things away to to people outside of your in, um, your agency in a different place, you know, even in a different country, ridiculous, right? How is that going to impact a whole bunch of other things? That it's just this domino effect of. Well, what does that mean? Am I, am I not giving value? Or what does that mean to the client and, and all of this stuff? And I guess here's the thing, right? Uh, because we've uh, there are instances where things can be processed using you know certain third-party companies to handle back back office support. You know, there's that what that ultimately does, right? And this is the this is the thing that fascinates me. What that ultimately does is then it removes those low value tasks from the people that physically are in the place that you want to do business, right? That means they can, their ability to do things that people that are obviously not there just increases, right? There's the physical interaction, the actual presence of being there, the things they can do that outweigh, again, just sticking them in a cube and saying, here, requote this all day long. They could be out in the community. They could be, you know, doing things for your agency that nobody else could. They could be doing a, a much higher skilled kind of job, if you will, if you let them, right? We, we automatically assume that just because they're here, just because they're in that service role, that, that, 
that that somehow means doing these sort of marginal activities and tasks. When I would argue that if if you're bringing somebody physically into your in the walls of your agency, you want to leverage their geographical proximity to the people you ultimately want to do business with in a way that I'm assuming most don't because if you do, then you'll realize the value of what you might actually want to pay for. I mean, yeah, if someone was like, oh, it's $1,000 a month, and I basically, I'd probably pay that in a heartbeat because I was, I was doing the math on the, on the phone, and I'm like, uh, it's probably going to be like $20 an hour because that's kind of like the range of what I figured I was going to pay somebody to do what I want to do. So it's like $400 a week. And then it's 18, I'm like, that's $1,600 a month. I'm like, I actually might pay that because I think I can produce that much more right. in a given month if I'm not spending my time on doing some of this stuff. The numbers, they definitely make sense, Nick. And yes, uh, some of that stuff. And that's obviously a, a moving target for everybody. Your stuff is different than somebody else's stuff. But guess what? That stuff no matter what it is, almost no matter what it is, there's a good chance that there is somebody that could probably do it for you and they could probably do it for you at a rate that is cheaper uh, to allow you to do something that is more cost effective. And as Nick is saying, I'm doing the math, I would gladly pay $1,000. I know I know a couple of agents at least that are paying a company like Marblebox $1,000 a month and it's the best $1,000 that they say that they spend every month because it's amazing what they then are basically awarded to do. The things that they, they always said they would never get to and the only thing that is preventing it from happening is the mindset of allowing that type of like workflow procedure to happen inside the agency. Uh, you know, and, and again, I've all, and, and, and while I know agents that, that are and gladly willing paying that amount of money, there's 10 times more that, that, that look at that number and say, that's ridiculous. I would not pay a thousand dollars a month for that. And, and that's, I think the mindset, the, the block, the point where we, as an industry need to kind of, just rethink about it and think what, as long as your time is again, able to be, as Nick said, you know, he could, he could, if he wasn't doing that, he could produce more, uh, by getting that off his plate, that thousand dollars he spent, uh, would possibly turn into 2000 or 3000. So it's what, what can you gain and what can you net out of that process? And it is this weird sort of sort of mentality, I guess, like of, 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 of that process. Like I, I just look at it like it's going to free you up the ability to do the things that you ultimately like doing. That's talking to clients, that's delivering value, that's being a risk manager, like a real risk manager, not just a kind of low level service person. It's just doing the high value, high leverage things that cannot be easily repeated. It's, it's getting better at that. It's, it's sharpening the sword on the things that matter most as opposed to the things that can be easily uh, repeated, easily outsourced. And and it's not necessarily about should you have somebody in there to do it or not. I don't know that that's the thing. If, again, if, and most of the time it does, if you can hire somebody, uh, if you were going to hire, or hire somebody to do that service and that service can be done cheaper, I would argue that 
still hire that person, but but completely rethink what it's possible for them to, to do and leverage again their physical presence in the agency. Uh, again, not being wasted on, on on marginal administrative service tasks as opposed to high value, high leverage touch points, physical interaction, like just actual direct communication with clients, doubling down on that. And then not only are you getting your time back, but you're also freeing up another additional employee to do work that is going to, again, multiply itself in value. And that's, that's again, just so fascinating and so intriguing to me that I, I find it, I find it in sometimes um, shocking might be a little strong that, that it, it's not something that is, isn't further explored or explored uh, with more frequency and regularity. But there is one thing that, you know, I mean, there is, you just at some point, you just at some point have to get yourself out of the idea that you need to be involved in everything and know that you're providing value where it matters most. But I am a service center agency. I'm a huge Grange agent, probably about 40% of my book is with them, but all my customers are, are pretty much trained on the service center. So I don't necessarily want to like unenroll from the service centers of all of my customers because it's already using the service center and that stuff's getting taken care of. And I don't necessarily need to pull the plug on, on that. I mean, if it's not broke, don't fix it. That's for sure, Nick. I mean, that's, the, you know, and so the thing that sticks out here, right, is that Nick is already, he's a guy that's already adopted. Listen, I'm, I don't need to be there every step of the way. I don't need to be holding their hand all the time. I don't need to write the special note in their lunchbox for my clients. And that, I'm, all right, listen, the note's nice. It's a nice touch. I'm not going to lie. I think you get what I'm saying, right? You don't, there isn't, there's a level of handholding that Nick has divorced himself of that says, Hey, listen, I don't need to be a part of this. You're, you're a big boy. You're a big girl. Uh, go talk to these people. They're very competent in this. I'm, this isn't necessarily my strong suit. They can handle this. I'm going to tell you, you know, the things that are most important uh, about the risk. I'm going to be that true risk manager. I'm going to know things. I'm going to have insights. I'm going to have ideas. I'm going to have suggestions that other people don't. And that's what we need to kind of continually be obsessed with and focus on, I think, personally, personally me. Uh, and then allow all of that other stuff to just kind of, again, go where it needs to go. And that's not to say, uh, I'm just kind of expressing the mindset. Nick's already adopted that mindset. He's already got a lot of his clients trained on the fact that he doesn't need to be the one servicing the policy. And the relationships seem to be just fine. Nobody's, nobody's breaking up with Nick because he didn't produce that ID card when they needed it. Uh, again, a marginal task like that, they understand that, that, again, it's not a big deal. Where it is is saying, so what, what is fascinating, right? And just in, in Nick's position of, hey, he does a lot of business with Grange. That's cool. I like Grange. My my home on auto, I think, is, I think, I know, is with Grange. I'm an idiot. Um, and so he's got a lot of business with Grange, but being an independent agent, like most of us are, I'm sorry if you're a captive listening, I'm, I don't know what to tell you. Um, it'll be okay, I think. Um, the, the, what the, what a, a third party option, uh, offers Nick the, the opportunity to do in this case would be to have one consistent kind of situation. Again, like that's, I don't think a service center per se is a replacement for a back office support like Marblebox, uh, because those are actual client interactions. A lot of the, a lot of the, um, a lot of the stuff a back office support does usually never involves direct communication with clients. That's still your job. Um, and, and even, you know, 
uh, Ani himself said on that panel, it's like, listen, once you once you outsource to a call center, you marginalize the the actual true customer experience. You marginalize the human touch. Um, there is you know nothing more intimate than connecting with you and like like you answering the phone, you not somebody else. Uh, and then when you once you do that, then you've said, listen, this is a commodity, and it's not that important. Anybody can answer the phone for us, and it's gonna it's not gonna matter. And I, it's a very interesting way to look at it. I've never heard him say that before, and it, it blew my mind a little bit. Um, and and so I think you know service center definitely isn't necessarily a replacement for that. Um, you know, if, if, if they're, if they're calling in and they're, they're needing, you know, service done and they need to talk to somebody, whether that's handled through you or a service center, I don't know that that's necessarily an issue, but it's what happens and how that service is processed, I think is the big deal as, as the follow-up and all of those things. And, uh, you know, uh, like Nick said, if, if, if they can get that good to, you know, do renewal quotes, that takes time to train somebody that takes uh, a lot of effort and energy that he might not necessarily be up for. And if there's a process always in place, if there's somebody always ready to do it, if no matter what, every 30 days you walk in and then the next batch of renewals are there ready to go out or even crazy enough, you know, you've created an automated process to where, you know, it's quoted, you reviewed it, it's sent out, whatever the thing looks like. It just it just increases efficiency on your end, allows you to focus on a lot more high value things, and then ultimately provide, which is the most important, your clients with a better customer experience because you know they're getting that 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 thing happening a lot faster, a lot smoother, a lot easier, and and you're just making life better for everybody involved, and it's it all comes down to the mindset of what you're most valuable at. What is the thing that you should be doing that people would pay you for uh, regardless, right? What's the number one thing that people would pay you for if they had to, right? If you say, hey, listen, you can only pay me for one thing, what would that be? Is it getting that ID card if they need it? Probably not. So that's just something to think about. And I kind of, I just, I, 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 I think there's a lot of potential for, for these processes, these procedures, for the different ways to kind of disperse uh, what needs to happen throughout the life cycle of a sale and a policy that we're not necessarily widely exploring and adopting that I really would like to see because that truly is what is going to make a successful, not today, but certainly in the future. So if you've ever really just felt the need, the desire, the urge to just really up your negotiating skills, I have a foolproof way to do that. And that is simply just take any young child to any store really ever in the world. Uh, preferably your own child because who wants to take somebody else's kid anywhere? That's just that's just not fun. Uh, but yeah, take your kid to the store and just it just it's 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 a constant it's every other step that you take becomes a negotiation on what it is that you're not going to buy them and the reason that you're not going to buy that for them and the utter just kind of disaster that happens each time that's explained within you know 30 seconds it's a it's a it's a terrible terrible nightmare I'm assuming that this happens to other people. Maybe my kids just are like just very ungrateful. I don't know. I'm sure it happens. I hopefully it happens to you. But um, yeah, I mean, even like, and then you think you know you've made it through however long you were able to endure in the store, 
and you've made it out successfully, you've probably maybe only have one $20 toy in your cart if you're lucky, and then you get to the checkout, and then that's just, I mean, that's just an endless sea of candy, like surprise egg sort of situations. And I, I don't know why, I know why they do it. I feel like the person that, that came up with that certainly didn't have kids, and that's not fair, because the person that came up with this stuff at the checkout aisle, that should probably be their life for at least six months. I think it's only fair. And with a bunch of other people's kids, too. Because, I don't know, whatever. I'm just curious. Upping negotiation skills, I mean, sometimes you get good at it. Because, it's like, listen, you, le- you learn to get, you kind of just knock it out in, like, 30 seconds, and then and, and you're moving on. But, um, uh, just the worst sometimes, I tell you. But Joey at agencynation.com. Let me know your worst... Uh, experience negotiating with your child in a store how unreasonable it got i think that would be fun i would like to know exactly how unreasonable uh, maybe just keep track let's maybe somebody keep track the next time they go to the store like the actual dollar amount of the stuff your kid asks for and we can see who wins you know it's like who can like ask for like 300 dollars worth of stuff i'd be curious joeyagencynation.com in the meantime if you're looking for uh, something else to do with your time, head on over to agencynation.com slash newsletter. Jump on the newsletter. Hang out with me on Sunday mornings. That'll be a good time, I promise. And uh, I think we'll have a lot of fun. So agencynation.com slash newsletter. I'll see you there.